0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast on Sunday evening here in Melbourne. This is the round one review edition and uh, unfortunately it may well be the only review edition of the 2020 season, another Dramatic day on uh, in not only the football landscape, but uh, let's be honest, without over-dramatising it, the landscape of the world as the dreaded coronavirus continues to take hold and wreak havoc throughout the globe. And uh, we are a big part of this now, and drastic times call for drastic measures. We certainly have taken them. Uh, We've taken them with this podcast too, because where we are recording from at uh, Southern FM in Brighton um they are taking a very rigorous uh rightfully a very rigorous approach to preventing the spread of this virus so my co-host mark fine and i are working in separate locations as i say a very good evening to him how are you Finey?
1: good rowan normally when i ask how you are we've already spoken and i know how you are but
0: actually how are you I'm okay. I'm a bit numb. I'm. I'm a bit. I really. I've got to be honest. I've had a lot of difficulty sort of getting my head around the scale of this thing. Um, I think I tweeted earlier. I think today's announcement has probably hastened for a lot of people their acceptance of how serious it is, uh, rightly or wrongly. I also. um, I read a piece. Today, written by a um, a doctor working in uh, I think in New York uh, talking about what he 's seen uh, in his treatment of um, patients in in his hospital with this horrible horrible thing and uh, it 's one of the most sobering things i 've ever read and uh, I certainly now am appreciating just uh, the scale of this pandemic and not just that but the seriousness of what the virus does to you. And anyone saying, well, it's just like flu, well, read this piece, which I tweeted out early today, actually. It's on my Twitter feed. I can tell you after you read this, you'll come away saying, this isn't like flu. Uh, Of course, we've seen the AFL season already put on hold after just one round, and and that's until at least May the 31st. Who knows what's going to happen after them? We've got a weekend of footy in. So, I don't know, how do you feel about the whole thing?
1: Well, it's unprecedented, obviously, and yeah, we, I think on a daily basis, are understanding exactly how serious it is and how important it is if we are to meet, not timelines, but within what is reasonable expectation to get on top of this and reduce the daily increase in numbers of people who are infected, which really is that... that turning point, isn't it? If you can start to get a reduction in numbers. Flatten that's the curve. Only,
0: Flatten the curve. Yeah.
1: And that's only going to happen with everybody taking a fairly rigorous and strict approach to self-isolation, to safe distancing. And, you know, if we all accept that by isolating and by safe distancing for
0: two weeks, you could almost bring it to a halt... Well, we're practising that, aren't we? We've got about fifteen yeah, kilometres between us that's at the right. moment.
1: That's right. So it really means bunkering down with the immediate family and occasional forays out for for needed supplies. And if we all do that, because I've been down the street this afternoon, and I can tell you, certainly down Chapel Street, <laughs> all Victorians or all Melbourneians are not doing that. But Maybe the message will get through as people get back from their Sunday out and read maybe the papers or process information off TV and radio, exactly how serious the issue is with Scott Morrison, Josh Frydenberg and various health officials explaining what the next
0: stage of, you'd call it, medical emergency is? Well, uh, I, I have to ask, do Andrew's hamburgers count as essential supplies?
1: But they do for me, <laughs> I'll tell you what. There's obviously food outlets are going to have to take a different approach, but being a takeaway outlet and they'll be able to uh, restrict the close flow of people in the small shop, at the moment they're not directly affected by the statistical or the number game of less than 100 people in a enclosed venue. So it's game on as usual for Andrew's Hamburgers who will – Keep pumping out the best burgers in town, the very best burgers,
0: and grab them, take them home, enjoy them. Where would I find them? 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. And uh, what about the home renovation industry? How's that looking? Well, I can tell you the housing industry is going to take a bit of a hit. And maybe, just maybe,
1: it's the exactly the right time to look at buying a bit of a, 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 do, a doer-upper. Not now. Six months from now, if you've got some cash, you might find that perfect place at the right price. And that's when you call West Point Properties and Nick's Bartels to turn a doer-upper into the best house in the street.
0: Well, it's all sounding a bit gloomy, but I've got some more good news finally. Grays Online, our um, partners with the Footyology podcast, their fantastic offer to our listeners, still going right up until the end of March. So you've got another... Nine days to take advantage of their extensive catalogue. You can buy anything there from $2 bottles of wine to $2 million cranes. All auctions starting at around $9. They will give you $30 off any purchase of more than $50 simply by using the following two voucher codes, ROCO, R-O-C-O, or FINEY, F-I-N-E-Y. Jump on Grays Online, pick out something you want, Make sure it's more than fifty bucks. Punch in those voucher codes, and you will get thirty bucks off it. There is a bargain, absolutely for the taking, which should help cheer us all up as we uh, soldier on through these impending footballless weeks. All right. And of course, and of course, being an online shopping service,
1: it certainly fits the profile of shopping at the moment, doesn't it? If you want some great value wine great choices and selection of wine with that $30 discount you don't have to battle the crowds or what will be the remaining crowds down the street at the bottle shop do it online
0: Very with
1: greys online
0: they are ahead of the curve no doubt about that alright well we do have a round of football to talk about and uh, it's going to be the last we see for a while so let's celebrate it in some detail now it's time for the wrap around. On Footyology Newsfeed. Uh, what am I talking about? The virus is playing havoc with me. I didn't mean the wraparound. I meant Newsfeed. It's been a very, very dramatic day on the football news front. Finny, and uh, of course, we've got to talk about it now. And it was always a chance to happen, but we didn't even make it through one round until the announcement came that uh, AFL competition being put on hold until uh the absolute earliest 31st of May and uh even in a way more dramatic news for the AFLW competition which of course um had four semi-finals go on over the weekend they hope to get two more weeks out of it but uh it's done and dusted and that is tragic news for the um four remaining teams left in the competition who of course were Fremantle Carlton, North Melbourne and Melbourne and uh, no Premier for the 2020 AFLW season and uh, Fremantle of course didn't lose a game. They were uh, 6 from 6 and uh, won their semi-final against Gold Coast in absolute canter. North Melbourne had only lost one game. Uh, Carlton were looking good, I think they'd won 5 games in a row but uh, what loomed as a fantastic final series we're not even going to get a Premier decided. So um, what do you make of that, first of all? Yeah, that was
1: probably the, the, the shock part of the announcement. We were expecting after the announcement this morning, and we've had a sense over the last 24 to 48 hours with the states closing their borders, that um, interstate travel was going to become uh, essential services only, and that would have discounted any football being played. So I guess we expected a hiatus for the AFL. What well, what I didn't expect to hear was that the AFLW season would be declared over and no Premier announced. I oh, would it's, thought...
0: it's, it's hard not to think now that they made... Once we had the announcement of the shorter season on Wednesday, they should have cut their losses then and taken and the top... To get a grand final. Yep, taken the top team in either conference, which of course yep. would have been Fremantle and North Melbourne and let them play off. I've got to be honest. Look, I understand why they couldn't declare a Premier, but I I feel shocking for Fremantle. I mean, how often do you not lose a game and then you don't even get a Premiership out of it?
1: May 31st is going to be the earliest that uh, football can commence, or June the 1st. I'm not quite sure which of those days it is. I don't know what day of the week May 31st is. Why... And I understand that the AFLW players now go back to their professional lives, their studies, and their state football commitments. But why couldn't they, if football does start in June or July, why can't they then regroup a couple of weeks training and finish off the season?
0: Well, that that was my initial reaction. I, I was told by someone it's got a lot to do with contractual arrangements. Their contracts obviously expire or due to expire um, within the next couple of weeks and whether they would all have to be recontracted to finish it off and whether that's logistically too difficult given the complications of their full-time jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't know why failing that, whether you wouldn't have put it on hold until the scheduled start of the next season and uh, finish off one season and then start the next one. Either way, it's a shocking result. I mean, I hate the fact that they've had the best season easily of the AFLW so far in terms of standard, and there's been some real, real highs and, and some real thrills out of it, and we we don't get a premier out of it. So, uh, I mean, they are just speaking to a couple of people connected with the AFLW. They are absolutely devastated right now, and uh, I think they've got every right to be. Do so you bang in and out a bit there? Yeah. Well,
1: hopefully, is that better?
0: Uh, we'll keep going and I'll tell you.
1: I think, it, I think it will be. The other thing is, it's too late to do this now because the AFL have released the statement and any and that's their final decision. Would it not have been possible when they released the statement to say that the AFL is on hiatus till May the 31st, AFLW season is over, it's the decision of the commission that we take... All of the performances of all of the teams, uh, put them in a single ladder and declare Fremantle the premiers in 2020.
0: Well, that would have been the gutsier decision, I think. Uh, like I said, I mean, we 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 aren't unaware of the full contractual and and thus legal ramifications of a decision like that. So whether that came into play. I don't know and, and this is one thing I think that I've felt over the last few days that whatever decisions are made regarding the competition you've got to really cut the administrators some slack on this front because um, I thought Gil McLaughlin for what it's worth handled himself pretty well today And but I mean it's just absolutely not only unprecedented but it's something that would have, wouldn't have ever entered your consciousness Uh, It's not like, you know, as an aspiring CEO, Gil would have sat there and and done a bit of uh, problem solving and thought, well, you know, what if if there's a a shocking virus which effectively shuts down the economy of the whole world? You know, how will we cope with that? They're not the sort of problems you foresee. So, um, you know, look, whilst I feel terrible for Fremantle and I... Yeah, I, I do think it's perhaps the wrong decision. Incidentally, I should point out, and, and this is a, a valid counter-argument, people who um, have said to me, well, no, why did they deserve it? Fremantle didn't um, have a game against any of North Melbourne, Melbourne and Carlton, the remaining three finalists along with them. So, I mean, that that, that is a, value, a valid argument factor in, in the counter-argument, I think. it's Either way, it's a difficult decision. Um, and, you know, I don't envy anyone who's been party to ha- having to make a decision like that. On the no, men, Yeah, go yeah, just
1: Well, just on the um, Gil McLaughlin and how the whole thing's been handled by the AFL, I'd have to say, first of all, I think it's been handled as well as possible, and I agreed with the decision to play football for the first round. When I say agreed with it, I understood it and and, and sort of acknowledged that it was the uh, more difficult choice. And, you know, the way that it's panned out, there was no way they could continue on after this round because of the closure of state borders and the banning of anything but essential air travel between any of the states and cities. Here in Australia. So their decision was taken out of their hands. And I sort of feel that it's worked out in probably the best possible way for the AFL and for Gil McLaughlin in that they courageously took the season on and it came to a dead end before a player or a club official directly uh, connected with the players became infected because then. The naysayers, the members of the public that said it never should have gone ahead. There would have been a lot of finger pointing at the AFL had one of the players um, got the virus and therefore put other members of the public at risk when they were out of the AFL bubble. So I think it's ended for the time being as satisfactorily as possible for the AFL.
0: Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, my point about that too is, and don't worry, I've had some spirited debates with people on Twitter about this. I mean, they took they took absolute top quality or what what is ostensibly top quality medical advice on this. You know, they didn't just sort of ask one of the club doctors. They went right to the top and uh, pretty sure, uh, it was Brendan Murphy, they consulted the chief medical officer on this and the advice was... Um, with the protocols that they had ready to put in place and given the conditioning of of the players um, and, uh, you know, the various logistics that had been worked out, they were safe to proceed. And, uh, you know, I think on that basis, um, I don't see that they were necessarily doing something irresponsible. I mean, if they'd contradicted medical advice, absolutely. But they didn't. Uh, And they wouldn't. They wouldn't have for a moment proceeded had the medical advice been not to proceed um, you know some other issues with this now that there is an indefinite or not indefinite but I mean it won't be even be revisited until sometime in April well, I guess they'll start looking End of April, they said. yeah well you know got, they'll start and no training no players will be in training so there's another complication for any sort of mooted return date um, they'll have people working on a, an alternate fixture so the fixture that was being worked out down to seventeen games, that's already got to change. Um, the most immediate problem, and you know, the sort of bigger picture problem, is that there are several clubs in the competition whose very existence is going to be absolutely in peril as a result of all this lost revenue, and that's going to be the first and foremost concern, doesn't it?
1: There's just as businesses are over the next few days reassessing whether or not they can continue on. How long can they be out of business before the business has to close? And that, with um, all the assistance from the federal government, still is a reality. And likewise, AFL clubs, how long can an AFL club, and we know who the clubs that are most financially vulnerable are. I know obviously St Kilda is, they've received... uh, substantial financial help from the AFL in recent times, in clubs like the Kangaroos, Western Bulldogs, Port Adelaide in recent times. These, There is no way in the normal course of events that any of those clubs could possibly go a year with virtually no revenue, still having wages of players and staff to consider and survive. So it's how deep the AFL's pockets are we might see the forced sale of Marvel Stadium. We yep. might see a a desperate plea to state and federal governments to maintain the eighteen ten competition for, you know, the integrity of the competition and for the sake of many Australians to whom it is so important.
0: Yeah, well that'll be the source of some contention as as well, as you'd understand, because obviously I mean this is a thing. We we won't know the full scale of of impact on the entire economy until we're, you know, months and months down the track. But we're talking can I, about... Can I ask
1: you this? Can I ask you this? Could you imagine, because this may well be the new reality when football starts up again, could you imagine players being asked to take half or even a third of their wages, two-thirds of their wages off? Because that may well be the only way football can continue. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting. I mean, that there were some reservations about them taking a 20% pay cut last week, and I thought, yep. I actually stuck up for them. I thought, well, you know, they're professionals, and a fifth of your pay packet's a significant amount. Uh, they certainly didn't have a lot of public sympathy over that stance, but I think now the um, the goalposts have shifted again. It might come to something like that. I mean, it depends what they're being asked to play. But look, right, right now, right at this stage... And like, like we've just been saying, the, the first priority here is ensuring um, the survival of all clubs. If we are able to shore that up and, and we tick that box, I, I really, and I know they said there's a 40-week window to play the season, but if you've got players now who are not training for the next, and they said eight weeks too, but the end of May, um, by my calculations, is 10 weeks from today. So if you've if you've got players who are not training for ten weeks, uh, at what point are you going to actually be able to resume the season? I just don't know if it's feasible now that we have a season at all.
1: And also, they just can't if they want to use say the MCG and other grounds on which cricket is played, the SCG, the Gapper, they can't run into November because the men's t20 world cup is in australia during that time and the grounds are going to be have been designated for international
0: cricket well what what would have to happen and this is where that 40 week window came into it and the 40 weeks went right up virtually to christmas they would have to probably on the say eve of a final series have another month off while that t20 world cup was played out and the grounds became available again I, I just you know the longer it goes the more Does it matter,
1: the, do you need do you need the MCG if there's no crowds uh
0: no not necessarily no no that's true that's that's a and, good
1: and also and also do we is football gonna will football again be played in empty stadiums because have we come to the point now if it's not safe enough to play in front of a crowd we don't play at all
0: uh I I would think so yes. Yeah, I I would think if we get to June, that even if, uh, you know, and and don't forget the medical people said that this thing may not peak until around then uh, or it would still be very, very active around then. If we get to, say, June and they say, yeah, look, it is feasible to play but still no crowds, again, I don't know if it would be worthwhile proceeding. I mean, I guess, you know, you've got to work – how much do you lose – not playing at all compared to playing but playing not in front of crowds? I mean, obviously, you lose a lot less because there's something going on, but is it worth the potential risk, the potential damage you do to the competition? I, I guess, you know, like it's it's a bit stream of consciousness this, but it's sort of beginning to dawn on me now that the ramifications of this aren't just going to end when the virus ends. You know, we're, we're going to be... In the same oh, way. For, for yeah, us, like, well, well, in the, sa- in the same all. way that, um, you know, at the end of a Second World War, you know, a sport and, and life and society was feeling the impact of that for a good decade afterwards, uh, I think it's uh, it's quite possible that football could be in the same boat. And it's, it's such a. I mean, we had a game in such uh, rude health, didn't we? You know, the, the money and uh, crowds and everything. And this is just. We're, you know, almost sort of back to a post-war sort of situation, really.
1: It, you know, our footballers in this game has become so professional that is, we keep saying it's it's a huge business, it's a multi-billion-dollar business. Well, when it does return, maybe it returns as a far more, a far less fiscal boost. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the reality. And every footballer, you ask every footballer out there, you know, do you play for the love of the game or do you play for money? And I believe them when they say they play for the love of the game because if their body allows them, they always go back to local football. They just love playing footage.
0: Yeah.
1: The best players will continue to play uh, for, we hope, for the best possible wage, but that may be a hugely different amount to what they played for before coronavirus.
0: Yeah, look, I, I, um, I still think they'll play. But... I mean, those are such difficult questions. I, mean, I, I mean, I can see. It's funny you mention that about sort of going back to a, uh, you know, a more suburban uh, feeling. Uh, yeah. yeah, less fiscally based competition because people are now saying that about society in general. I mean, I'd like to think that if something good comes out of this whole tragic pandemic, it's that we reassess the value that we put in particular um, people's jobs and and the things that we value in in society. Could that also be applied to sport? Well, the difference would be that um, we've now had a taste, or people involved intimately in the industry have had a taste of that sort of... Uh, uber capitalism, if you like, of the game, and uh, is it easy to go back to an older, uh, simpler, less financial time if you've had a taste of uh, of the big of the good life?
1: Are you telling me it's hard to keep Dusty on the farm once he's seen Paris?
0: Well, a bit like that, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's what it is. Oh well. But on a lighter note, uh, if we have to compress the season so drastically that the home and away season consists of a one-round played and we go straight into finals. Bad luck, Essendon. I think you just
0: missed out on the eight. Well, at least we didn't get the wooden spoon. And uh, at least we did win our uh, – we ended up with a winning record, didn't we? We had a 100% winning record. Absolutely. As opposed Absolutely. to your Saints. who. So Let
1: me tell you, we'll talk about that later. on. am nothing, yet, yet nothing
0: a, to be pleased about there. Yet again managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. All right. Yeah. Um, I,
1: you know, I thought – I thought I – thought, the
0: home crowd really does <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right, that is news feed for this week. Uh, as I say, extraordinary circumstances. But we do actually have games to talk about. We're going to do that right now. And this time, we're going to get the uh, the promo right. Let's head into the wraparound. On wrap wraparound. Well, feels like a long time ago now, but round one of the 2020 season kicked off last Thursday evening at the MCG in front of a handful of support staff, coaches, and of course the 44 players on the field. Bizarre circumstances in which to start the new season. Of course, Richmond, the reigning premiers already uh, having delayed their flag unfurling as you would if you didn't have anyone to unfurl it in front of. Um, And it was a pretty typical sort of Richmond-Carlton season opener, this Richmond stealing a march early, Carlton uh, coming back and uh, proving a worthy adversary in the end, but never quite uh, getting close enough to really frighten the Tigers. They did get within 15 points during the last quarter, but Richmond steadying when they needed to. In the end, 24-point victors, 16-9, 105 defeating the Blues, 12 9 81. Three goals each to Jack Rewalt and Jason Castagna. Three also to Shy Bolton and three to Daniel Rioli. Uh, singles the rest. And for the Blues, a fantastic debut from former Gold Coast um, star, um, Enigma, perhaps I was going to say, Jack Martin. Four goals to him, four goals each to Cunningham Casbolt. And Silvani, uh, what would you make of it, Fanny? It's
1: interesting. You summed up the game really well. And then you, when you mentioned the goalkeepers, they really were the influential players, I think, for Richmond. Jack Riewoldt early was fantastic. Kostani's just a really good player. so Bolton, and I know you're a fan, when you go through Richmond's best players, I guess... You have to name a few before you get to Shy Bolton. But he is so skillful. He provides all the pressure that Richmond want at a ton's with Just on the other end, sublime skills. Ditto Rioli. Speed being the major asset there, both in applying pressure. But then when he's got the ball, as you sort at of the end of the game, that there's a favour of Berton. Uh,
0: well, hang read. on. Got some shocking interference there. What was that? What was that? What happened there? Well, seems like a long time ago now, but Season 2020 actually did get off to a start last Thursday evening at the MCG with the now traditional Richmond Carlton season opener. Uh, massive difference this time, of course, with uh, no one in the house, well, save for coaches, players, couple of hangers on. Uh, I think most of the games this weekend have, have had a crowd of around the 200 mark all up and uh, it was a pretty typical Richmond Carlton game on field though in the sense that Richmond were too good but Carlton managed to hang in there and give them a few nervous moments, number least when they got within about 15 points Um, with still a fair bit of time to play in the last quarter Richmond then steadied as you'd probably expect, in the end ran out 24 point winners, 16-9 one hundred and five defeating the Blues, twelve nine eighty one, three goals each to Jack Rewalt, Jason Castagna, Shy Bolton, and Daniel Rioli singles the rest, and for the Blues four goals to Martin, fantastic debut from former Gold Coast Enigma Jack Martin, making his first appearance in the Navy Blue and doing himself proud, two goals each to Cunningham, Casbolt. Silvani, uh, the Blues, I don't think they'll be too discouraged by that. Uh, the start was poor, but they more than held their own after uh, a pretty poor first quarter. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, well surmised there, inasmuch that we've seen it before. We've seen Richmond control games that they've played against Carlton. They've now won 10 in a row, but Carlton have shown something. Richmond do have gears, though, and don't be surprised when football returns, that Richmond don't necessarily annihilate teams on the way to winning premierships. In fact, when they won their first flag back in 2017 in this run, of course, uh, they really only put the foot to the pedal to the medal during the finals, and that's where they pulverised sides. So I think there's a good case to be made for Richmond playing, not within themselves, but having plenty in hand. That being said, Carlton would be very pleased with their Martin. It was Dusty Martin who really set it up in the first half of Richmond. But, boy, Jack Martin, who, let's be honest, he was not playing seniors consistently last year for Gold Coast because his heart wasn't in it. Maybe he's found a happy place because he looked fantastic. He really was everything you'd want in a small forward.
0: Yeah, and what a... um you can't escape the fact that isn't it funny how for so long people spoke about Richmond as being a a group of honest toilers and then even when they started to find that winning formula, it was all about pressure and oh, not necessarily overly skilled. And then I think, uh, was it Grant Thomas or someone called him the, the worst premiership team ever? But you look now and, and I hope this isn't seen as cultural stereotyping, but the five Indigenous players in that team, Uh, Bolton, Rioli, uh, Pickett, Stack, and Edwards. I mean, the amount of um, skill and effervescence and vision that those guys add to that team, and I've been pretty consistent on this. This is a team which gets its uh, just kudos for the amount of pressure it puts on, but I still don't think it gets enough kudos for how skillful it is. This is a super-skilled team in my book, the Tigers.
1: Well, they are, and we know that the side that probably could have won – well, look, they had one bad night against Collingwood in a preliminary final, but they've been the dominant team for the last three years, have added to their brilliance spectacularly in 2019 with Sydney Stack, who was one of those late um, after-draft list-filling selections in other words everybody couldn't everybody passed on him or overlooked him many times before Richmond took him and Marley and Pickett who of course was a mid-season draft pick likewise overlooked many many times so their recruiting has been brilliant and you you have to admire the the fact that this is a team that despite being the hunted and the team to beat Seem to be almost impossible to imitate. Teams try to do it, yeah. You can apply pressure, but that is great at getting the ball. Is there a team that can apply pressure and then be so artistic and brilliant with it once they get it? Well, I mean, Tom, Tom Leach didn't get a touch, mm. and he's a bloody good player.
0: Well, and, um, they, and they still win. Another key to it beyond the pressure, and we did mention this during uh, footyology final siren on Thursday evening. Um, and I was going to say, make sure you tune in if you missed it, but uh, we'll be putting that one on hold too, um, is the positioning. And that is just as important as the pressure. And uh, I did a very interesting interview with Kane Lambert in the off-season when I, I was asking him about this at length, because I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how they get it so precise. And it's they have had drummed into them, the Richmond players, uh, that it's about position, not possession. And uh, so they are incredibly disciplined in their ability to decide when to go for the ball or when to effectively run away from the ball and get into position to receive the next possession in a chain. And it works brilliantly for them. And so those passages of play where you'll see Richmond players just grab it and handball it forward and you think, well, that could go anywhere. They know where it's going or they, they know it's going to a teammate. And I think that's a lot harder to replicate and uh takes a lot of work and a lot of drilling. And uh, the Tigers have done it brilliantly. And it's a it's a coaching triumph as much as anything, I think. And not just talking about Damien Hardwick, but the other guys who were part of that coaching panel, uh, two of whom, I'm glad to say, are now at uh, the club I support, finally. So uh, it will be interesting if ever we play again. Uh, to see whether um, the Bombers are one team that can replicate it. But, look, all in all, an efficient enough uh, performance by the Tigers and uh, certainly showed that they would be the team to beat again, yeah, indeed, if anyone has a chance to ever beat them again.
1: Damien Hardwick did, when asked a question in the post-match presser, and he actually acknowledged it as a good ask, and there is one question that I guess he's got a couple of months to ponder over, and that is whether or not they are right to go with two Ruckman, whether they need Soldo and Nancurvis. And he actually said that Cruiser going off tipped the balance of uh tipped the balance of mobility in the favor of Carlton. And it was a for them a difficult became a difficult situation where they felt that he felt that they were a bit top heavy after Cruiser took no further part in the game. And he said they're going to have to have a close look at whether or not they play two Ruckman or go with one and just uh, stand standing as they used to do with Sean Grigg.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to be horses for courses, isn't it? And the, uh, the guy I was thinking, if they wanted to retain a bit of size but perhaps have a bit more mobility, someone like Noah Bolter might be able yeah, to... Yeah, they uh, don't they? Yeah, and he might be able to slip into that sort of more mobile, second-tall, pinch-hitting Ruckman Type role. Should, should mentioned Patrick Cripps he he worked his way so powerfully into the game he's a he's a monster he really he, he builds momentum and just gets more powerful as games go on he's a monster he's got such a, a gentle face though hasn't he he's a friendly yeah. monster is that Milton yeah, he, was he Milton is. the friendly monster well there was just a tincture of tenderness but they put in too much I wouldn't say
1: there's too much tenderness in Patrick But he's still a nice kid. He's a lovely guy.
0: All right, that was the first game of the season. And uh, let's now move on to the following evening, Friday night, just down the road at Marvel Stadium. Well, Friday evening, Western Bulldogs, Collingwood. And a lot of people would argue this was arguably uh, the most anticipated game of round one. A lot of Hype about the Western Bulldogs. Collingwood, of course, having come close to a premiership two years ago and uh, close to at least a grand final appearance last year. But this was a no contest, and uh, as good as the Magpies were, and they were very good, the Bulldogs were incredibly disappointing. In the end, a uh, very, very comfortable 52-point win to the Pies, 13-8-86, defeating the Western Bulldogs, 5-4. 34 for the victors. Three goals to Brody Majacek, two to Cox, two to Dacos and only singles for the Bulldogs. It was all set up with a five-goal-to-one opening term. They uh, seized control of the midfield and uh, Cox looking very dangerous in particular up forward. Majacek coming to the party later. Their medium-sized forwards, Elliot, Hoskin-Elliot. Um, the Brown brothers uh, all look dangerous. De Goey, of course. And uh, Bulldogs were just never in the hunt, were they, Fanny? No, this was. And this, this will be the absolute cross to bear for teams that perform
1: poorly in this unusual round of football. Unusual, no crowd, and a standalone round. Who knows when we play again? Because, of course, the clubs don't reconvene now, they don't train, they don't go through the tapes. And for a team like the Western Bulldogs, who headed into the season with a lot of expectation and, rightfully, a bit of pressure on themselves to perform well, they knew that they were a team that people were looking at to challenge for the top four and greater honours. They now have to live, every player and the coaching staff have to live with a very bad loss for 10 weeks. And and that's going to take some mental toughness, isn't it, to regroup and sort of understand that it's only a single week of football that went bad because they're going to have to skew over it without the uh, sort of psychology of the team and the group saying, all right, that's it, We've it's Tuesday, we've reviewed, let's move on. There's none of that happening and it'll be an interesting dynamic for especially the Bulldogs but all the losing teams uh, to handle the disappointment of a loss for the next well 10 weeks at a bare minimum
0: yeah no very true and uh when you look at it uh, one goal on the second half for the doggies and uh, i'm not sure how much fault you can lay at the feet of the uh, the forward set because they really didn't get many opportunities uh collingwood just dominated everything where it counted to the extent that at half time um the inside 50s were 25 to 8 in fact I'm just trying to remember that stat I was absolutely incredulous about. Oh, that was it. Halfway through the second quarter, so at the 10-and-a-half-minute mark when Brody Meyerczyk kicked his first of the evening, Collingwood led by seven goals, but more starkly than the scoreboard. The inside 50 count of that stage was 22-2. to two. How does any yeah. decent side have two forward entries in... Or oh, even with shortened quarters, at least 30, 35 to 40 minutes of football.
1: Yeah, well, that tells a tale, and it tells a tale of Collingwood structurally at their very best. Even going back to 2010 when they won the flag, it was their ability to build a wall to condense or compress the ground in such a way that it was almost impossible for the opposition to move the ball out of defence and transition into attack. And we know that the Bulldogs love transition football, but Joe Henderson was completely diffused. They got nothing out of their much-vaunted midfield. In fact, only second-year player Bailey Smith could lay any claim to having a decent night. And we're talking about Bontempelli, Dunkley, McRae, all having stinkers. Now, that doesn't happen without great uh, hard work from their opponents and I think you'll find that that Collingwood midfield ran both ways better than any other team in the first round.
0: Yeah, they, they were excellent. And uh, what I, the other thing I liked about the Pies was their, their evenness because, I mean, we get used to sort of saying when Collingwood play well, it's all about the midfield, and they were terrific and can't underestimate the uh, – or, sorry, overestimate the influence of Brady Grundy. I mean, he, he's one of the most uh, dominant – Uh, Ruckman, I I can remember seeing for a long, long time. Just the influence that he has, not just with the hit-outs, but around the ground. He gets forward and he kicks goals. But it was their defence and their forward set-up as well. I mentioned the forward set-up earlier, but their defence, it's a seriously good defence now. I mean, Roughhead clearly has been a great pick-up for them, but Jeremy Howe, career-best form, even at this sort of twilight stage of his career... Um, and he's got plenty of mates. They're a very organised defensive unit. And all parts of the ground for the pies just looked a, hundred, uh, a million dollars, I thought. What does
1: Brady Grundy have in common with Dennis
0: Orley and Jeff Thompson? Uh, does he have a hairy chest and like chunky gold jewellery? No, he makes English look very timid. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a great night uh, for poor young Timmy English, was it?
1: No, no, he was, uh, maybe they'll call for Dennis Amos next time they play. <laughs> or fire. Oh, no, it was
0: actually, no, no, no sorry, Cowdery. We'll fly out a 40-year-old Colin Cowdery again. Yeah, they'll get Cowdery to play. Isn't it funny how when uh, that happened in 74-5, and I can remember we would have both been nine thinking, 40 years old, that's ridiculous. And now I'm thinking about 40 and thinking a mere whippersnapper.
1: I, I'm telling you, when, when they brought him out, I thought, oh, my God. This guy couldn't have played for the last 25 years. I didn't do the math very well, but I really, you're right. I thought thought he was an old-age pensioner. God, I wish I was 40 again.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Sean Burgoyne's not far off it, and look at him. I'll get to that a bit later. Uh, Yeah, fantastic win for the Pies, and uh, no doubt, um, (laughs) you've got to qualify everything you say now. I was going to say, no doubt, they will be pushing for higher honours, Uh, Just who knows when They might be pushing for higher honours Around the uh, Christmas dinner table Uh, The the Collingwood Army Yes They were in um, In their respective bunkers
1: and houses And caves Or wherever they watched it from They would have been very
0: close In a knocked off car in the uh, um, Croxton Park Hotel car park Uh, Uh, That's
1: very nice Interestingly though You know Joffa has moved overseas. Oh, has he? Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not he no longer lives in Australia. He's doing wow. uh, aid work aid work overseas. Right. Which is his, yeah, his true calling. So maybe it's the Joffa curse. If I can't go to the football, no one can <laughs> All
0: right. That was uh game two of round one. Uh let's head back to Marvel, but uh about eighteen hours later. Well, our first thriller of the 2020 season didn't look like it was going to be one, but it certainly ended up one. And Essendon prevailing by just six points over a very plucky Fremantle. Low-scoring game, this one. 9-9-63, the Bombers, to Fremantle. 8-9-57 for the victors. Jacob Townsend, terrific debut for him. Three goals uh, all in the first half. Set up the Essendon win. Two goals to Stringer, both coming at very important times. Single the rest, singles the rest. And for the Dockers, a terrific debut from Sam Sturt, who ended up with three goals and two goals in the midst of a terrific game, I thought, by the big man Rory Lobb. And uh, the Bombers looked like they were going to absolutely belt Fremantle early in this game, but the Dockers just gritted their way back into proceedings uh, still four goals uh, 26 points down at three-quarter time but they absolutely smashed Essendon in the last quarter in terms of general play really up the ante on the pressure front I think they had was it 15 tackles in the last quarter they'd only had 18 in total for the first three quarters dominated the inside 50s just couldn't quite convert unfortunately 4-3 in a couple of very gettable chances, certainly Andrew Brayshaw missed one which he probably should have kicked, which I think would have made it a point the difference or even levelled the scores. And Essendon just hanging on, the ball lodged very firmly in Fremantle's forward 50 when the siren offered the home side blessed relief. What did you think of this game?
1: Well, first of all, Essendon looked, as you said, at half time in control of Again, because they had Townsend as a powerful small to mid-sized forward. I I think they just could have used one more tall forward while they were on top, which begs the question why Mitch Brown's playing for Melbourne, not for Essendon, because they were getting plenty of ball usage. Bell Chambers was competing... He wasn't just breaking even against Darcy. At that point, he was well on top. And in the first half, Lobb was out of the game because he was predominantly in the Fremantle forward line getting cold. The Essendon midfield were going really good guns. Dylan Shield, clearly the leading possession winner for the weekend, was just winning everything at the coalface. He was getting plenty of assistance outside with a number of, you know, Essendon have got some good players, mid- to small size players that are damaging players. Tipping Woody, McDonald, Tipping Woody Motton had the stats, but, gee, a couple of his timely tackles and knock-ons were brilliant. And it really was all Essendon, as Fremantle looked very nervous with ball in hand. But, yeah, yeah. You know, what, you know what they did do? Yep. They they addressed the deficiencies at halftime, apply more pressure, make more contests, and free. Their three classiest players, Lobb, Fife, and Walters, started to influence the game. And I guess the worry for Essendon was it was very clear if Fremantle were going to win, who was going to win it for them. But they seemed un- incapable of turning that tap off.
0: Yeah, uh, Darcy, Darcy Tucker was the other particularly good player for the Dockers, too. But you're right. Yep. I mean, that last quarter, Walters, Fife, and Lobb all absolutely. Well, the move of Lobb into the ruck was critical, wasn't it? And uh, it was inspired for a couple of reasons. One, that they were getting well and truly beaten in the ruck, but also that they would have been pretty confident that Tom Bell Chambers was going to run out of gas. And um, I must admit, I was very surprised that he was picked for the game ahead of Andrew Phillips. And whilst you would have watched the first half and thought, "Well, Bell Chambers has justified the selection," uh, he was absolutely cooked by the end of it, and it almost um, proved very, very costly in terms of the match points. Um, pretty – Well, yeah. Sorry, right? No, no. I was just going to say pretty um, – what's the word I'm looking for? I've already used the word gritty. I, I thought it was a pretty impressive showing from Freo. You know, a new coach, they're playing a new brand of footy, some very young players in that side, got jumped early, and yet they really clawed their way back into it. You know, in terms of effort – I don't think Longmuir could have asked for a lot a lot more. In fact, I, I saw his press conference and he was basically saying, you know, it's about as good as you can get without winning a game. You know, they will take a lot from that. Look, Essendon, uh, I mean, it's not, It's. I wouldn't call it a terrible win when you think about the amount of Essendon players who had interrupted or delayed starts to pre-season. Um, yeah, the oh, it, was,
1: it wasn't bad at all, mate. I mean... Jeez, didn't Snelling him
0: do well well um, but... I, I, yeah i was I was about to wrap him up they had they had three guys who who I thought whilst their games weren't necessarily reflected in stats were critical now one of them was Townsend, I think Townsend only had nine disposals for the game, but he I think four tackles um that forward fifty pressure was was crucial stringer's class now particularly early when he was attending most of the center bounces. Uh, He won several centre bounces, kicked a a beautiful goal on the run from a centre bounce when he managed to give Nat Fyfe the slip and then a critical goal at the end to give him a bit of breathing space after the Dockers got back within seven points. But the other one was Snelling. I think in terms of numbers, Essendon now has a deeper midfield contingent than it's had for a long, long time. And people still aren't that familiar with some of them. You know, Kyle Langford... Uh, He wasn't great to start with but worked his way into it. That hasn't been a a noted feature of his game that he can sort of keep plugging away and come back into a game. Darcy Parrish, I'm convinced, is set for, if they were to play a season, would have a good season. Andy McGrath, now he is a guy that's looks obviously like he's going to go to another level as a permanent midfielder. But Snelling is really adding to the mix, and he he did that even in his limited appearances after being picked up midway through last year, and I thought he was really impressive again. So, you know, they've got a few different midfield options now. The issue for the Bombers right at the moment is back and forward. And I've got to say, um, we need to mention Michael Hurley um, captaining the side... Had a lot of pressure on him, I guess, but uh, he didn't have a good day, Hurls, and uh, almost sort of uh, rubbed salt into the wound by giving away a pretty stupid 50 at the end and conceding that last goal to Sturt, which, again, could have proved pretty costly.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, Michael Hurley, I've got a feeling that however long the hiatus is between Now, when the next game of football is going to be one or two weeks longer for Michael Hurley out of petulance Mm. and embarrassingly after that goal, he then got outbodied by a kid in his first game. He's better than that Hurley, just didn't fall his way and uh, luckily for the captain, that wasn't something that he'll have to skew over for the next 10 weeks, really being responsible for a loss. The team won and he's professional enough to bounce back from that. I think that Essendon, with youngsters like look that back line had Zerk Thatcher, the pretty inexperienced Guelphie in it. Um there were a lot of positives for Essendon, for Fremantle. Again some positives, but both teams are going to be searching for how to kick goals. Essendon if they're not if they're not running, they they're certainly not kicking them, I think, through um traditional means of mark kick mark goal. And Freo certainly aren't doing that because the only guy that marks the ball up the forward line for them at the moment is
0: Taberna. And and he kicks like a mule with a broken leg. Uh, yeah, he did, certainly did on Saturday. we are got to move on very quickly. Who do you think was the one person in the football world who thought that the Hurley incident not only shouldn't have been a report, but shouldn't have even been a free kick? Dirty. Yeah. <laughs>
1: surprise, surprise. But But, you know, again... Even in the commentary with Gary Lyon commentating, he conceded that it was crude, and it's just funny how football ex footballers are so loath to put current players in for what they deserve. He said it's crude. I'd like to see them take action on that, but I don't think he should get anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, some would say they operate a bit like our courts. Uh, all right, that is enough on Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon. Time now to talk. Uh, are a bit-
1: you suggesting that? Are you suggesting that our magistrates and, and judges are ex-criminals who don't want to put their mates in?
0: Yes, I am fine. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, um, well,
1: that's why this podcast
0: won't continue. No, no I'm not. Uh, <laughs> all right, time to move on and talk about the twilight game between the Crows and the Swans. Well, really interesting game, this one, at Adelaide Oval. uh, Stuck in that time slot that often gets lost in the wash a bit. And between two sides, uh, of whom, uh, let's be honest, not a lot being expected this year. Uh, Adelaide certainly in a transitional phase, and you could argue the Swans probably a similar deal. Uh, But it was a thriller, and uh, full credit to the Swans. They did it again. Uh, They are so good with backs to the wall and that's certainly where they were after the Crows came out with six goals in that opening term and looked pretty sleek and like they were ready to have a pretty good first up win. Sydney um, just toughed it out and managed to really control the game themselves in the second quarter with five goals to just one to the extent they led by eight points at half time, And from there it was neck and neck, two goals to three in the third term and uh, then the Swans failing to kick a goal in the final term, but still hanging on for a uh, nail-biting three-point win. 11-8-74, defeating Adelaide 11-5-71 for the victors. Four goals, crucial performance from Isaac Keeney. Gee, he's a talented player. Will Hayward, two goals for the Crows. Two to Walker. Who also missed a chance to win the game. Difficult shot was uh, on the fifty, but uh, usually uh, distance that Tex copes with copes copes with okay, and he coped with it okay this time. He just the accuracy was slightly off. It just faded a little bit. Didn't miss by a lot. He had two goals, two goals to Lynch and singles. The rest. Uh, exciting game. Victory to the Swans. Uh, Essendon won by three points, didn't they? Essendon won by six points.
1: Essendon are going to be eighth on the ladder, not eighth. Yeah, sorry. They snuck into the eight after my little chortle earlier on. I've
0: just worked that out. Oh, it's all right. Just tune out when you're bagging Essendon. Not bagging them. Just had a bit of fun. But at my expense, Essendon in the eight. All good
1: unless they get tipped out for other reasons. Now, this game I really enjoyed. I enjoyed Isaac Heaney. I enjoyed a lot of the unexpected Adelaide firepower up front early on in the game. They got some little dazzle out of Stengel, which was good to watch. Uh, Taylor Walker started the game well. Darcy Fogarty got one on the lead. He's a beautiful kick, but he doesn't do enough throughout the game and they were looking really crisp going forward but their midfield was not necessarily winning the issue and up the other end Sydney's forwards were waiting for opportunities G Papley's a good little player but the P in the pot as you said was Isaac Keney who is as good and you know when they say crap battery size he was a great Mary size I don't exactly know what that means. What's, what's a bad size for marking?
0: <laughs> well, it's harder, when it's harder when you're short.
1: Yeah, but he's got a beautiful – well, you know, I mean, what well, he's about the same height as Jeremy Howe. He's considered the best aerialist in the game, no matter what. He is so good in the air, and he seems to have just a little bit extra reach that baffles his opponents.
0: Yeah, he's uh, deceptively tall. Or has he got long arms? Yeah, I think he might be Bob Skilton. He might be,
1: you know, long-armed.
0: I was thinking whatever, Stephen Copping.
1: Yeah, yeah, Copping had the long arms, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he used to, he used to be able to do his shoelaces up during the National Anthem.
0: <laughs> Can I just say very quickly on Isaac Heaney, if they ever do a remake of uh, Puberty Blues and he's in oh, cast yeah, yeah, in a yes. leading role, I'll be very pissed off.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he's from Newcastle. That's still a fashionable do. Well, we can make fun of him, but he's a ripping footballer and they have to balance the temptation of rolling him through the midfield where he can get plenty of ball with his obvious uh, danger and goal-kicking ability up forward. It's a balance they get right most of the time. Longmire uses him well. Will Hayward, it was good to see him back mm. because last year was not the continuation of the previous and he was actually very hard at the ball. Now, to Adelaide's credit, they kept, they kept whacking away. They, they whack away with a midfield that gets, you know what, probably more, more um, valuable as the game continues because there are, tends to be, I mean, I know these shorter quarters compromise it a bit, but they've got good cold-faced players. The Crouchers, Sloan, they're not, we know this, they don't have great outside run. They continue to grind forward, win ball. Riley O'Brien's a good ruckman. He's more than a ruckman. He's also a bit of a target up front. And this was a game that I think they would have stolen had they won it, Rowan. Mm -hmm. I felt that Sydney were the better
0: team. Yeah, no, I agree. uh,
1: But they had their chance, didn't they? And Taylor Walker's missed goal. He he, the previously mentioned Brayshaw and seemed to be mentioned Rowan Marshall. We'll all have many
0: sleepless nights over the next two and a half months. Now you uh, you went for the swans in this game, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I few didn't. Two tips I got correct. Well, I'm just thinking if there's one upside for this um, season being put on ice for me, it's that my tipping was already looking very sick after one round. So. Oh me too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, what a what a shock that is. Uh, look, a, a good standard game between two sides. No one expects a lot out of, but. Yeah. Um, yeah be interesting to see how both of them come on and how quickly they sort of turn their standing around uh, whenever they get the chance to prove that next. All right. Uh, did, what...
1: did you see the worst shot of
0: goal for the, for the round? Uh, I saw a few. Actually, just before you say whatever it is, what, what the, the one upside of not having a crowd was that every time a player hit the post, you got to hear the full metallic you... thud of ball on post. I never knew the posts were so metallic. There, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's aluminium, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I, that is really. I, I, that is a sound.
1: For some reason, we don't pick up in the game. Yeah. Why don't we, Why don't we pick that up? Well, it's because the white. commentators are white.
0: the commentators are usually babbling over everything. Like on Saturday when Eddie. Maguire kept saying, "Well, let's have a listen to the sounds of the game and let you hear it for precisely seven seconds." Before he couldn't stand being silent for any longer, and uh, and burst back in. Uh, now, who are you going to say? What was the worst shot of the weekend? Sam Ray. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, the dribble. It was
1: twenty. It, it was twenty-five meters
0: out. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> don't know what happened there. Uh, the, ball, the ball
1: fell. For those who didn't see it, it wasn't inaccuracy that cost him. He was twenty-five meters
0: out, and the ball landed seven meters short. Yes, indeed, strange, uh, strange little shot from him. All right, let's move on to Saturday evening. Saturday evening at Giants Stadium, and uh, this was a high-quality contest. I felt in the end, one match
1: of the round.
0: In the end, won pretty comfortably by the Giants. A remarkably accurate seventeen goals, three one hundred and five defeating Geelong 11 7 73. They shared the goals around but uh, foremost among the goal kickers 4 GWS 4 goals to Harry Perryman, 4 goals to Toby Green and two Greens now this one with an E on the end. 3 to Jeremy Cameron, 2 to Coniglio or Caniglio, sorry, the new skipper and two to Daniel Lloyd for the Cats. Three goals to Mitch Duncan, the leading goal scorer for them. Two to Tom Hawkins and singles the rest. And the story of this game for me, Finey, it was all about efficiency. And that isn't even to say that Geelong weren't efficient, but I've seen few sides as uh, in dead-eye touch as the Giants were when when they went forward, not only in terms of accuracy, simply in terms of every inside 50 seemed to lead to a score, so much so... And this is a stat I really like a lot, and it's uh, percentage of inside 50s converted into goals. Just to give you a measuring stick, last year uh, Geelong was second in that stat. 25.4% of their inside 50s ended in goals. GWS were third, 25% for them. Last night, GWS, that equivalent figure, 43.6%. Just 39 inside 50s which produced 17 goals. They took 17 marks inside 50, which is a phenomenally high amount. And uh, they just look terrific. And the, probably the scariest facet of this for op- uh, opposition sides is that the uh, three-pronged, um, uh, the trio of key forwards, Cameron, uh, Jeremy Finlayson and Harry Himmelberg, didn't really have... Huge games. It was uh, it was the small forwards, i.e., Green. It was midfielders, i.e., Perryman, uh, doing the damage, and uh, they were red hot. Couple that with a a really good midfield performance, even without Tim Taranto, and then throw in a dominant backline. Nick Haynes, superb down there for the Giants. And uh, I, I've got to say, I felt like Geelong didn't actually play that badly, but they were just outgunned by a better team. Really, really impressive stuff from GWS. Yeah,
1: well well, analysed. Look, first it was Lloyd. He, was, he came out of the boxes, shanghaied out, didn't he? Yep. A couple of early goals that were fantastic and then a hand in the third. Perryman gets involved in a piece of play that the Cats would not like to see over again. Two Geelong players seemingly about to kill the ball near the goal line, and he was able to bustle his way through and put a foot through it and get a goal, Hmm. not one that Chris Scott would have liked. From that point on, you know, Geelong get footing in the game, and they're pretty good. Hawkins, he's he's still a good target up front. They... A benefit from Darcy Fort being in the ruck because he's chopping out nicely with Sam Jacobs. Ablett's going okay. It was a brilliant goal by a surprisingly quiet Paddy Dangerfield, but he did kick a beautiful goal in that first quarter, didn't he? On his left. (laughs) What a beautiful goal that was. And Mitch Duncan, who's had a very interrupted pre-season, he's a consummate professional, isn't he? You don't get... Do not let him get the ball within 40 to 50 metres of goal. And unfortunately for Geelong, though, a lot of their hard work off the half-back line, which they really worked hard to, to clear their lines. Although Harry Taylor played actually well. You know, he's been hanging on by the, his fingernails for a while now, but he was controlling things in the air. They were getting some good run. You said and Markel was putting his head over the ball and doing some things. And unfortunately, if you don't deliver the ball well into your forward line, I don't really care who you're playing, you're going to get a lot of rebound action and not a lot of satisfaction. And unfortunately, Geelong's effort didn't come with that last classy kick into the forward line. And as you said, you've got guys like Haynes. Zach Williams comes back next week.
0: Mm. Now, when next week? He's who knows. But
1: but next game, I should say. Uh, And he's... He's hugely important in that rebound football because they quickly get the ball through transition into the hands of Kelly or Canilio or a good user, and they're off to the races. And, well, Perryman was fantastic. I thought Cameron, uh, not hugely influential, but a couple of great grabs, and isn't he a beautiful kick of the ball as well? Mm. You, you've just got a team there, and you know I'm very bullish about them. You've got a team there who's lesser lights, are not as less
0: as people might think. No, you're right. Roy, yeah, no, you're right. Roy, I, I think, yeah, we talked about their lesser lights, but giving them more of a blue collar feel, probably two years ago. But their lesser lights now aren't blue collar, are they? They are seriously good players, mm-hmm. and we're, we're and, getting and it, an idea of the depth they've got.
1: How about the body on Tom Green? Is you know what? He's going to be an influential player very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, look, super super impressive win by them. Also, um, just on your comments about the kicking, uh, Cameron and Finlayson, two of the best kicking key forwards I think I've seen. Their capacity to kick around corners effortlessly on the left foot. Um, yep. Highly, highly skilled with, uh, with um, foot on ball, both those blokes. Uh, Great win for GWS, and, uh, yep, whenever we resume, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Here, here. And uh, let's move on now to the Gold Coast. Well, a bit of deja vu going on in this game, and uh, not in a good way. Uh, Gold Coast smashed at home by Port Adelaide. The power, 10-16, 76 uh, what is that, oh, gee, my maths is terrible, 47-point victors over the Suns, just 4-5-29, just one goal in the whole second half for the Suns, and they actually kicked the first goal of the game too th- uh, through Ben King, uh, one-way traffic after that, and uh, you could really see the Suns players' head drop in that second half. For the power, two goals to Todd Marshall. He's an impressive player, I reckon, when he gets on the park. Two to Mitch Georgiades. Not quite the nine that his old man kicked on debut back in 1989 for Footscray, but impressive nonetheless. He looks like a a very likely senior regular. Two goals to Daniel Motlop and singles the rest. For the Suns, singles only. Only four of them, of course. And they would be bitterly disappointed with this performance, uh, given how impressive they looked in their two Mars series games, finally.
1: Yeah, this was I'll get I'll get a bit literary on your ass here, as they
0: say. Um do you know the novel, the Tale of Two Cities? Oh, uh, I do. Uh one C. Dickens wrote that, didn't he did he not? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think he I did. Think so. I think it was Dickens. Did? Yeah, Tale of Two Cities. I'm pretty sure it's Charles Dickens. Anyway, it, does, it not, does it not start? It was the best of
1: times; it was the worst of times.
0: Well, I haven't read it, but I have heard that quote. Yeah, I think it
1: out. Anyhow, on Saturday night it was the best of games because I really thought Geelong uh, and GWS was a high standard game and the best, you know, the best showcase of football for the round. And then there was this one. Now, Port Adelaide threw a strong midfield, Rockliffe, Plenty of the ball. You know, Boke's a good player. Power Pepper's got a good body on him, the kid. And they just really put uh, Gold Coast out of the game very, very early. And there's a fair bit of disappointment for Gold Coast in the way that they were unable to get a handle on this game. And their ruckman, Jared Wits was underdone and, and maybe sore with that foot injury of his, which was a problem because they really didn't have any backup there. Backline, unfortunately, even though they didn't concede a big score, never were able to rebound the ball. Now, this is the one thing you would have hoped from them, wasn't it? That you get some rebound with Brandon Ellis. Um, You know, they they were not able to run the ball out of their backline. So credit to the Port Adelaide forward line for making sure that in transition, Gold Coast never really happened. Unfortunately for the Gold Coast, this is a bad start. On the back of two terrible seasons, where they started okay, now, unfortunately, look, maybe they're the one team that would like this long break because they're a side that, unfortunately, in the last two seasons, bad football from them was the was irreversible. They, for two years, they their seasons have simply deteriorated the further they've gone. So they need a break because they start the season terribly and who knows where they go from here.
0: Yeah, well, you'd say now actually that they might benefit from a bit of a break were anyone anyone actually training. But uh, no one is. So um, they're just going to be marking time like everyone else in the competition, unfortunately. But uh, no doubt, bitterly disappointing start to a year which uh, everyone pretty much had their fingers crossed would be a better one for the Suns. Okay that is uh, football up on the Gold Coast on Saturday evening let's turn our attention to Sunday. Back at Marvel Stadium for a third time on the opening weekend of the 2020 season and another thriller on our hands the second one at Marvel, and uh, not a great result for you, Finey but a terrific result for the Kangaroos, who uh, I won't say came from the clouds, but uh, came from a pretty ordinary-looking position indeed. In fact, 28 points down at halftime, having only kicked two goals, became surging back into this contest with four goals to nothing in the third quarter, and another two to just a single for the Saints. Just one goal in the second half for St Kilda, and in the end, the Ruse getting over the line, 8 8 by two points to an inaccurate St Kilda, 7-12-54. Uh, singles, all singles for the Ruse. Uh, two goals to Max King in his AFL debut for the Saints. Two goals to Jack Billings. But um, finally, this is a bit of a uh, defeat, snatch from the jaws, a victory job. You know, what?
1: for non-St. Kilda supporters, I think they fall into two groups. Those who publicly enjoy the pain that St. Kilda fans have endured over the last 50-odd years, and those who privately enjoy the pain that St. Kilda has endured over the last 50 years. And for them, this was made to order. St. Kilda, coming into the season, absolutely, their fans, myself included, are excited and lippy about the new recruits because they are a a decent bunch. The pre-season goes well. St Kilda beat Hawthorne and then stand up and beat Collingwood, which now, uh, well, certainly before this afternoon, looked like good form coming in. At half-time, St Kilda are 29 points up and really only good fortune spares north from being further behind. The third quarter starts, it's more of the same. The ball is camped in St Kilda's forward line for six or seven minutes. And really, you get a sense the next goal is the game because it's not a long, you know, we're already halfway through the quarter. St Kilda fritter opportunity after opportunity. But, and they lose Gresham to concussion, but they also um, at the same time see a very serious incident in the first half, luckily only concussion, to new kangaroo Josh Walker. He's off. Zebel does a medial ligament, a medial in his knee. Very important player. He's off. And Paul Hearn limps off with a hamstring injury. So all of a sudden, North are down to one man on the bench and they've got to make a comeback and they don't really have anything to hang their hat on except, you know what? They've got some good footballers that weren't playing well who pulled their finger out and started absolutely generating Higgins, Goldstein, and at the top of the tree, Ben Cunnington, who absolutely gloved everything he put his paw on. You know, tough midfield balls that were scrambling and pinballing around. All of a sudden, Cunnington was sticky hands, handballing to best opportunity, and they get run. They get run from Atley. They get run from plenty of players. Most impressive, Taylor Curtis. Is that his name? Curtis
0: Taylor. I That's it. Know. He's
1: no, nervous. it's Curtis Taylor. Yeah, one of
0: those. Don't do a, a Don't do a Mitch Lewis on him. Yeah, he's like a
1: Mitch Lewis. Curtis Taylor,
0: very impressive. So like Simkin, he
1: dances around a few players, and North get a sense, and they do this without the crowd, which is more credit to them because their bench. You know, Richard comes down onto the bench, and all of a sudden, the injured players and and officials, and they really make a noise. And for some reason, even though the attendance is officially zero thousand zero hundred and zero, they're riding the crest of a wave that St Kilda were completely incapable of turning around.
0: I told you Without last week. Room. I told you last week you hear more crowd noise at Marvel. Yeah, well you did, and it was all
1: north. And I'll tell you this: that St Kilda, uh, they went to water, no question about it. Supposedly good players were shirking. You know that, that space closed around them very quickly. You know a team's in trouble when a player gets a ball under pressure, as St Kilda were in the second half, and they are willing to go backwards, sideways, or to the feet of a teammate just to abrogate responsibility. I don't want it. It's too hot. You take it. And there was a lot of that going on. And in the end, North, because they don't have a lot of firepower, uh, they lost the lead. They got the lead. They lost it to it. Max King's two goals were from free kicks going for marks. You know, okay. Take him when you can get him. He didn't have a big influence on the game. I'll tell you one thing about that last shot of goal from Max King. You know, he got he got scragged fifteen metres out of the goal square. And for some reason the umpire put him on the goal on the goal square. Mm. They gave him fifteen metres extra. Not there. Yeah. But Rowan Marshall there's they, a footy god, you know. Because he did not mark that ball, and with a minute or two minutes to go, he was paid a mark thirty-five meters out. He missed it. Yeah, he but he didn't mark it. So fair enough, fair play. And it was, by the way, Ben Cunnington's very well taken mark at the top of the goal square. Again, very poor defending by St Kilda that saw them home. But well played, Ben, ben Cunnington. Well done, North. And I tell you, if any team, I said the Bulldogs had a lot to think about over the next ten weeks. Yeah, there's
0: a few heads need deflating at St Kilda, and they've got 10
1: weeks to deflate.
0: Yes, uh, a very uh, fulsome summary on your part and very gracious given you support the losing team. Well done, Kangaroos. All right, uh, well, a little bit later in Sunday afternoon and down the road at a similarly vacant, uh, but this time uh, not even so noisy-sounding MCG, Uh, That didn't come out right, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, We saw Hawthorne taking on Brisbane. Let's have a chat about that one. Well, big things expected of Brisbane in 2020 after its stunning rise up the ladder last year, but uh, pretty disappointing today against a side who, as Peter McKenna famously said, you just can't write them off. Hawthorne. Uh, finished last season with a full head of steam. Looked like they were set to begin this season with one who'll know now, unfortunately. But uh, in the one hit out that we're going to see from anyone, they were pretty impressive, the Hawks, and ended up 28-point victors over the Lions. 14-6, 90, defeating Brisbane 9-8, 62. Three players, each with three goals. Sean Burgoyne, the ageless Sean Burgoyne, three goals to Luke Bruce, and three to a very impressive Chad Wingard for Brisbane. Three goals to Eric Hipwood, who battled on pretty well for the Lions, I thought two goals each to McStay and Cameron. But after a pretty evening opening uh, evening even opening term, Finny uh, Hawks really got on top in the second quarter and just seemed to extend their lead a little bit term by term, um, a couple of cheapies late for Brisbane. It was a, a pretty comfortable win in the end, and they were pretty impressive. I'll tell you the one thing I was thinking coming away from this game, having watched the Hawks, they do, they can sort of sneak up on you. They're several times already we've thought they were on the uh, decline and have managed to prove us wrong. But uh, I'm looking at him these days and thinking, well, you've got a Brownlow medalist in Tom Mitchell back in the lineup, and he was as prolific as ever, certainly in their best few players. You've got a guy called Warple who had to step up in Mitchell's absence and did, and he is now a key part of that engine room. You've got a bloke in Jager O'Meara who was one of the uh, elite juniors and draftees in the competition but had so such a bad run with injuries people sort of forgot how good he was. And uh, to an extent, you could argue the same about Chad Wingard after a bit of a quiet year with Port Adelaide. And if you looked at that roll call of names, say, three years ago, you'd be going, wow, this is absolutely bursting with quality. And I think uh, throw a good key forward in Jonathan Patton into that mix as well. Uh, It's certainly a bit of a foreign legion feel about the Hawks, but they've done that successfully in the recent past. And look like 2020 could actually be another version of that. I thought they were very, very impressive.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you went through that list. And what I'm going to say here is not a criticism of you, Rowan, whose work I have admired, both working with you and from afar when I didn't know you, when I thought you were a rather nasty Essendon man but a very good print journalist. And I reckon they've got one of the most underrated players in the competition. Hmm. He is... He's so good in the midfield, working hard on his man.
0: Oh, I know, but, you're also, say, yeah.
1: but also providing plenty of drive and plenty of quick decision, good hands. Very rarely, you know, we talk about Mitchell back, Warple, the, the year without Mitchell, O'Meara,
0: and I make this mistake as well. Do I ever mention Liam Shields? Mm. No. Mm. You know why? He's very good, he's, he's, uh, he's boring looking. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he looks boring. He's not Bailey Smith. Um, no, no, he's not. He's not. Maybe he should grow a mullet. But no, no, spot but, on, spot on. He has been a top-line midfielder for a long time now. Yeah. I
1: thought he was great. You know, and you speak about a foreign legion. Well, John Segler, his future at Collingwood had was absolutely um, cut off of the past by Brody Grundy. He had to go elsewhere, in Collingwood rightly... You know, let him choose where he wanted to go and didn't stand his way. A very good player, John Segler. Mm. Good mobile ruckman. From Brisbane's perspective, that MCG, with all its room, with all its it has to offer, should have been a happy hunting ground for them. But it wasn't. Maybe it isn't. And that's a disappointment. Cameron ended up hobbling around, obviously he has quite a long period to get that right. But without his constant influence in that forward line, especially given that Hipwood performed well, you've got to ask where the rest of the forward line was. I mean, you got, to, you know, a, a goal here or there. But they seem to be pretty lame going forward if the ball wasn't in the hands of hippie, hippie, Hipwood.
0: Well, also a bit of a taste, I think, of what they can expect. They can just expect life, well, should it resume, uh, to be tougher um, because everyone knows what they're capable of. Everyone will have done uh, a power of homework on them. Uh, they won't be taken lightly by anyone, and, and this is the life of a um, a sudden and big improver. The next season, ask Melbourne about this, the next season is inevitably well, a lot more difficult. Yeah, I- it is more difficult, and there are certain players that
1: need to absorb that and come through better the other side. Remember, you know, young people won't remember this. Remember when we used to have TVs with antennas on them?
0: I oh, do. The rabbit's ears
1: or, yeah, the, or the curly was,
0: ones. I had, We had one of the straight ones that was curly. No, yeah, they, they're odd. They were odd.
1: Especially if you went away on a holiday like to, uh, you know, we used to go to Phillip Island or to um, – Warburton, and you'd be watching TV or the footy. You'd get the reception perfect and then it'd just go fuzzy and somebody would have to go and muck around with the antenna on the TV. Mm. Got it. Gone. Got it. Gone. That's Cam Rayner. <laughs> I watch him. Perfect. Oh, no, what's he doing? Perfect. Terrible. Gee, he's he's a, a, a clear picture and a fuzzy picture and it just fades from
0: one to the other right throughout a game, doesn't it? It does. And you know what? I, that makes me think. I mean, the uh, analogies with Dustin Martin have been flowing thick and fast for him the moment. People spotted him as a junior. But I wonder if, you know, his early career path might be not uh, not dissimilar to that of Dusty Martin. He was a little bit in and out and enigmatic himself in his early years with Richmond. Um yeah, Look, no. Those, I, when I say perfect, I mean there are times you just there are times in a game where you think, "Oh boy,
1: he is in a bit," and then there are other times you think, "Well, are you fit?" I've got to say that it's not about him not getting the ball; it's about sometimes he's seemingly laxadaisical. Yep. That's been misused throughout football commentary, hasn't it? Approach on on attacking the opponent or or helping out his teammate. It seems like he's. It seems as though he's he's really got to be taken aside and told that one percenters win premierships and finals, not the stuff that he does.
0: Yeah, yeah. No fair point. He might. He could have a few teammates. In the same category, again, if we ever see anything more of what they're rolling out in 2020. Good win to the Hawks. Let's talk about the final game of the round. And what might well be the last game of AFL football for this year? <laughs> well, yeah. if you want to be particularly bleak, potentially, uh... Ended in a uh, pretty good win to West Coast on their home deck at Optus Stadium. 12 goals 6, 78, 27-point victors over, again, a disappointing Melbourne, 7-9-51. And really, this game won in the first quarter when the Eagles slammed on 5-1 to just four behinds to Melbourne. Two of those goals to Brendan Archie. There's a name we haven't heard a lot of of late. I think only one game for the Eagles last year. Three goals to Liam Ryan and two goals to Dom Sheed. Uh, Yep, five-goal lead up early and then just held the Demons at bay from quarter time. It was seven goals apiece for the Demons. Two goals to Tom McDonald. Two to Keziah Pickett making his debut, and that was a bit of a, a bright light and an otherwise disappointing afternoon. And uh, those usual Eagles conspicuous mids. Andrew Gaff, 30 disposals for him. 27 to Luke Shuey in his first game as West Coast, Coast skipper. And for Melbourne... Ed Wangdon, Ed 31 touches for him. Good debut from the former Docker. Must have been the site of those West Coast jumpers. 24 to Christian Petrago who has looked pretty sharp all season. And 34 disposals for Jack Viney. A uh, bit of a blast from the past there. And I would say, hopefully, about to get a better run at it. But uh, noop, like everyone else, he's sitting it out for the next well, it's not really two months, it's two and a half months. It's far too long, whatever it is. Uh, very good win to the Eagles. Very disappointing, the Demons, finally, who I'm prepared to say now embarrassedly I tipped to win this game.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't be embarrassed in terms of the
0: possession winning and, and
1: clearances and work around the ball, but not dissimilar to Geelong GWS and good teams, This is a hallmark of good teams. I mean, Richmond kicked five straight before uh, you knew it. Collingwood was slamming them on pretty accurately at the start of their game. We know GWS were not missing, and neither were West Coast. In that first quarter, that scoreboard told a tale of efficiency going forward, nervousness defending, but not general play. General play was okay. There was a problem, though, that every stoppage was being monstered by Nat Nui. Now, he pulverised Max Gorn. Couldn't even lay a mitt on it, Max. What's he going to do to lesser Ruckman? Because Max Gorn's generally considered number two behind Brody Grundy mm. at the very worst. So, boy, Nat Nui, with a full pre-season, we forget how, how devastating a footballer he is when right because he hasn't been right for a long time. West Coast and Natanui will be hoping football comes back as soon as possible after the May 31st deadline or, or possible re-engagement date because he's right to go. The forward line was lively. As I said, uh, some nervousness in the back line, a couple of intercepted handballs resulted in goals. Archie, he hasn't played much. He's been around for six or seven years, I reckon. Doesn't
0: play much, look good early. I Ryan, think actually nine years, I heard. for Archie. Well, nine years. Yeah, I think so. That's a long time. The sniffles time. the has been around for a, a few less. Yeah. I, I, Who's that?
1: Callum.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll Brendan's a sneeze and Callum's a sniffle. Yeah,
1: fair
0: enough. Uh, uh, Kelly, pretty good for him, too. I'll tell you who else was yeah, an impressive, yeah. finding, Um In the goalie kick, certainly. Petrocelli. He's very quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. We might not the, get to do that gag again. Oh, we will. <laughs>
1: We we will have It will have its day Rowan This is the one game I really feel Had there been a crowd Melbourne would have lost By 60 plus points You know that West Coast crowd Up and running Pretty electric first quarter Nat Nui on top of his game Umpires ready to be bent over a barrel But after quarter time The game was pretty even Melbourne never looked like winning But I just feel that the parochial, insane, 100-to-1 dominated home crowd of the West Coast Eagles, which would have been a sellout, would have driven them to be more ruthless.
0: Yeah, well, I I don't reckon there'd be many games you look back on of anyone going to Perth, playing the Eagles, giving up a five-goal start and then coming back and winning. Uh, One just came to mind, actually, but they're pretty few and far between, I reckon. So, uh, yeah, look, I I thought Melbourne, given their pre-season, would give a much better account of themselves than that. And I thought the no-crowd factor would certainly work for them. Um, Didn't really make a difference in the end. Uh, Well done, West Coast. But we can say that May and Lever controlled their men. Uh, May, yeah, good de- – day. Um, not debut, good uh, season debut for him. Yeah. Uh, Nat Nui, uh, yeah, I reckon probably B. O. G by most uh, assessments would oh, – He just dominated. Would it agree was... with that, yeah. It's not often it... Gorn's taken <laughs> apart to that extent. He's
1: playing with Max Gorn. And again, when Nat Nui's on song, it reminds me of a of a, a bigger boy situation, which I had – around my streets growing up. We were all 11 or 12. There was this 15-year-old that used to come from down the bottom of Thomas Street and play with us. And he dominated because he was – you know, we called him Bigger Boy. <laughs> and knew and he taps the ball to himself, grabs it and kicks it forward. And that's what Bigger Boy used to do.
0: Is that why he went and played with you, so he could dominate or was there no one else to play with?
1: Yeah. I don't want to go into details of his – He's you know what sort
0: of bloke he was, but he liked dominating. Yeah, you you make him sound like the big guy in uh, was it Larry in uh, of Mice and Men, John Steinbeck. Yeah. yeah, okay. That's two authors I've mentioned tonight. Aren't I sounding rather literary, even though yeah. I hardly have read a book in the last thirty y- years? You know,
1: you know, Crime and Punishment,
0: uh, Dostoevsky.
1: Yeah, apparently they were going to call it War. Did you know that joke from Seinfeld?
0: Uh, I don't think I've, I remember that episode. I think Jerry told Elaine as a joke that Crime and Punishment Oh, and no, I do a, that. that. Yeah, I did say that. War, one. Yeah, but yeah. then
1: there was that Edwin Starr song, you know, War, What is a Good yeah, war? Yeah, So they changed <laughs> the title.
0: That's right. And she shows it off and, to the publisher. She yeah, works the, for. Yeah,
1: the, the, the publisher comes to New York and she tells that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Berserk
0: All right, Uh, I think you can tell by that uh, little uh, repartee that we're done with round one, and um, we bid a sad farewell to round one and quite possibly the end of the season. I can't quite believe that on March, what is it, 22nd, that I'm saying that. So who who wins the Coleman medal? (laughs) Um, And do we
1: have a nine-way split in the brown one?
0: Who did kick the most goals for the round? Um, I don't think
1: anybody kicked more than
0: four, did they? Perryman. Well, Harry Perryman, a joint winner of the uh, Coleman medal. What price was he to win the Coleman? I don't know. Can you have – is it possible to have 10,000 to one?
1: 10,000 to one. And there's nine equal winners of the Brownlow. Who are some of the Brownlow medalists? Ben Uh,
0: Cunnington
1: wins his first Brownlow.
0: Yeah. uh, uh, Dylan Schill, I would have thought. Yeah, Dylan Shield wins a Brownlow, which is long overdue. Yeah, Dusty won another one. Do you think Dusty or Jack
1: Martin
0: might have won one? Oh, not in a losing side. Uh
1: probably not. Head Brody off. Grundy wins oh Grundy. oh, Grundy. Oh Grundy, yeah. Absolutely absolutely
0: Absolutely. Um who would have won uh, Isaac Hooney. Isaac,
1: Isaac Hooney, the first kid from Newcastle, to
0: win a Brownlow. Isaac Hooney. Um yeah. you said Ben Cunnington, yeah, agree with that one. Um. Yeah. Oh, who, who, win, who win, Does Tom Mitchell win his second Brownlow? Uh, potentially. What about? What about? Uh, what about one for um, Silk at the age of thirty-eight? Uh, Burgoyne. Sean Burgoyne. Yeah.
1: I reckon he's going to miss out the Brownlow by a vote.
0: <laughs> to, to um, Mitchell or Chad Wingard. So you know what the
1: problem's going to be what? on Brownlow night. Yeah. By then you won't allowed won't be allowed to have gatherings over ten people.
0: So the nine
1: winners winners are just going to have to go there by themselves.
0: Oh, unless they get to go there. I mean, they don't post it out to you like they did to... You know, there's stories about the old Brownlow winners getting their Brownlows posted out to them. Well, you know the Fred
1: Goldsmith story.
0: Uh, Tell it very quickly.
1: Well, he was a fireman working at Spotswood Fire Station and he was on the night the Brownlow was on. Yeah. And he got a call from the secretary of the VFL. Yeah. Who's, who's this? Uh, Fred. Fred, yes. I'll just ring you for you. You've won the Brownlow medal. And uh, Fred then rang up his wife and told her, and she said, oh, we'll have a couple of people over for a drink when you finish work. So he went up to his, the fire chief and he said, look, i have just won the Brownlow medal. It's a quiet night. Can I knock off? Uh, there'll be a few people at my place for a bit of a celebratory drink. And he goes, you knock off when you finish work, mate. <laughs> <laughs> apparently he got there and the party was over. <laughs> the, the, drunk, the drunk poor Mrs. Goldsmith out of beer and that was it. That, that and is, you know what?
0: That is a good story. And Fred,
1: and Freddie's a great bloke. He used to be the barman at the Bush Inn in Paran. Yeah. And he always, like Kevin Murray, always kept his Brownlow on him.
0: And I became quite friendly with with uh, old Freddie. And I had worn his Brownlow medal. Is that right? Well, I've worn a Brownlow medal also, Mark. Who's? Uh, I wore Adam Cooney's Brownlow medal. Oh, that's nice. Uh, didn't get to wear the chisel with which he proposed to his wife, Hayley. Um, but...
1: did, did, did Adam do to you what Fred did to me? No. He said, you can try it on, but I've got to keep a hold of you. Oh, okay. Grab me, me around the
0: elbow. No, this this one was actually unaccompanied. I think I wore it in the press box on grand final day 2008. All right, uh, where was that one going? We're, um, we're going to come back and finish this thing off. On Footyology, the final word. Okay, well, uh, I thought we should probably end this, finally given the extraordinary circumstances we are in by... Um, Letting our footyology faithful know that whilst the AFL season is on pause, we are not, Mark. uh, We have made a decision, the footyology steering committee has made a decision that we are going to continue this podcast, given how much fun we had doing it over summer and seemed to be a good response. So there may not be AFL football to talk about, but there'll probably be plenty of football news to talk about, and there'll certainly be our usual catalogue of fun and uh, arts and entertainment and popular culture and perhaps even a teensy-weensy little bit of politics to talk about. So I vote that we keep it going, fine How say you?
1: I concur. I will not cross the floor here. I will stick with my party. As a loyal servant to you, I work in the I work in the Cabinet for the Right Honourable Mr Rowan Connolly. I, that's I'm all in favour say I. I just said I.
0: Yeah, hear. Yeah. No, I was. I was yeah, hear. Yeah. Motion passed. Um, all right, and uh, I'll tell you what else we give unqualified support to, Finey, and that is the best damn hamburgers in Melbourne.
1: Well, these are trying times, but you know what? 80 years, 81 years young. This burger establishment saw Melbourne through the tough times of Vietnam War, Second World War, by crikey, and weren't that far off the first WW1. They've been there through the hard times, and they'll be there kicking goals at 144 Breadport Street. You can get a burger, take it home, and know that in the end, it's a good place to be. Andrew's Hamburgers. The best.
0: 144, yep. Bridport Street, Albert Park, and the best builders yep, yep. and renovators, Fanny.
1: When it's all over and you want your place, your property, to maximise its value or you buy a block of land and want a beautiful house, it's West Point Properties. Nick Bartels, he's the man. And. If anybody can. Nick
0: can. Okay, you're getting a bit unhinged now. So don't forget also our fantastic offer from Grays Online. You've got another nine days to take advantage of it. Uh, anything from a $2 bottle of wine to a $2 million crane. Uh, might be needing one of them soon myself. Jump online, have a look what's available. In anything you care to name. White goods, power tools, you name it. Cars, they've got it. And take advantage of these fantastic voucher code offers any purchase of more than $50, you can get $30 off just with a few keystrokes. Smash in those voucher codes, ROCO, R-O-C-O or FINEY, F-I-N-E-Y, on the Grays Online catalogue, and you'll receive a $30 discount of anything to the value of $50 or more. We are yeah, done. Not to be confused. Not to be confused. Yes. With, With
1: that terrible kick of goal by New Sydney recruit Sam, Sam Gray. Gray, this that was Gray's offline. Gray's yes, offline. yes. This is
0: Gray's online. I think he crashed the internet. As a matter of fact, uh, that's it from us. Um, stay safe, everyone. These are very on a very serious note. These are obviously very disturbing times, and I think uh, perhaps what's happened today might have driven that home for a lot of people that we now don't even have football to uh, give us temporary respite. So uh, stay safe, do what you're told in terms of um, uh, avoiding the spread of this horrible virus and keep an eye on those who might be needing you, might be uh, holed up on their own and needing a bit of love and support. We'll offer that too when we can and uh, we of course, as finally just alluded to, we will keep this podcast going. That's it for this week. We'll see you back here next Monday.